I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. in upper elementary school. I was a proud rider of bus number 43. I loved that bus and one of the reasons I loved it was because my best friend rode it with me. I got on the bus first each day. Now it's important to to note that mornings at my house were always a bit crazy because I was the child that needed to be on the bus at 7:30. So I thought waking up at 7.15 would still give me plenty of time. You see, despite my mother's insistent, Cameron, you're going to be late. I always found myself milking every single minute of rest that I could. I would jump out of bed, throw on some clothes, brush my teeth, and I would grab a Nutrigain bar of some sort or a Pop-Tart. And I would run out to the bus. On many occasions, it wasn't uncommon for the bus driver to be honking the horn, waiting for me at the end of the driveway. Nevertheless, there I would be, sitting on the bus, still half asleep, just polished off my to-go breakfast when we would pull up to my friend's house. When he got on the bus, He had an aroma that always followed him. It was an especially strong aroma when he sat next to me. Now, it was a very distinct smell. 
The smell almost every child loves. That smell? Waffles and syrup. I don't know why, and it's kind of strange actually, that nearly 25 plus years later, I still recall the smell of his morning breakfast as he sat next to me every day. The smell triggered so many thoughts in my mind, like, what was his morning like? Were other people eating waffles and syrup with him? How did he have time to sit down to eat? Now, don't get me wrong. I most likely had every opportunity to smell like waffles and syrup too, but to be honest, I was a little lazy in the morning. So I was pretty content to live vicariously through him while I scarfed down my breakfast bar or Pop-Tart every day. Friends, last week we started our series together called Ordinary Encounters with an Extraordinary God. We mentioned that oftentimes we have desires for big, exuberant, and dramatic encounters with God. We want God to appear to us like he did with Paul and stop us in our tracks. Or show us his hands and his side like he did with Thomas. But the reality is that God still shows up. But we may need to refocus our eyes. Much like one would do with a pair of binoculars. To attune our vision to the everyday mundane or ordinary habits that God still shows up in. Today, as you might have guessed, today we're talking about eating. There is nothing more basic to human life than eating and drinking. Quite literally, without food and water, life is not possible. Last night, my wife, Samantha, made these absolutely delicious spinach quesadillas. They were amazing, fresh spinach, real mozzarella cheese, the kind you get at the grocery store where they keep the other fancy cheeses that are hard to pronounce. Diced onions, garlic. They were so good, mouth-watering. To confess, I had a Zoom meeting a little bit later and I found out that there were some leftovers. So I turned off my screen and muted myself for a minute or two so that I could polish them off. Now, Samantha has made these before, and to be honest, they're memorable. When we sit down to do our meal planning for the week, I'm always excited when they get suggested as being an option for us to consume in the coming days. Friends, eating is a sensory experience. Eating engages our sight, and if you don't believe me, Look at the vast majority of people who take pictures of their meals before eating at a restaurant. Eating engages our smell. It engages our taste. It is an embodied experience. But food is also transcendent. Waffles and syrup with my children on Saturday mornings take me back 25 years to my childhood with my best friend or sitting down with a totally unhealthy box of Kraft macaroni and cheese, connects me to the times that I would visit my grandmother and she would fix it for my sister and I. 
Norman Wiersba, a former professor of mine, wrote, Food is a gift of God, given to all creatures for the purposes of life's nurture, sharing, and celebration. When it's done in the name of God, he writes, eating is the earthly realization of God's eternal communion-building love. But let's just be real for a second. Most of the food that we eat, it's, well, it's boring. Perhaps I'll take a picture of my wife's spinach quesadillas and post it to my Instagram, but I wouldn't even stop to think about showing you what I had for lunch. Maybe it was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or some sort of leftovers that I found in the fridge from a few nights before. But what I want you to know is that even these can be holy encounters too. Now, you might be thinking, well, let's stop right there, Cameron. I hate leftovers. How could that be a possible encounter with the divine? Well, the reason is simple. You see, even leftover pasta from the fridge is an opportunity to experience gratitude and gifting. In the quote I just offered to you from Wiersba, he spoke about eating as an act done in the name of God. A simpler way of putting this is eating food that is first blessed with a prayer. Wiersba writes, to say grace before a meal is among the highest and most honest expressions of our humanity. Here, gathered around the table and before witnesses, we testify to the experience of life as a precious gift to be received and then given again. He goes on to say that we acknowledge that we do not and cannot live alone, but are the beneficiaries of the kindness and mysteries of grace upon grace. You see, no matter how hard we try to be self-sufficient, the we-don't-need-anyone-or-anything-else kind of people, the reality is that every time we pop in a TV tray dinner into the microwave, we wake up to eat the cold pizza from the night before, or we scarf down that quick peanut butter and jelly sandwich as we move from one task to another, we are receiving as a gift the benefits of nourishment, or as the scriptures teach us to call it, our daily bread. The disciples of Jesus were fully aware of receiving the nourishment of their daily bread. We see this explicitly in our scripture passage from today, when Jesus sends out the 72. These individuals were sent out by Jesus into all the places that Jesus was to go to till the soil, if you will. And while they were there, they were dependent upon the residents of the area to provide basic necessities for them, like food and shelter. Author Tish Harrison Warren tells a fascinating story of an encounter that she has with a Franciscan monk while she was in college. 
One day, Tish was offered a rather luxurious gift and was feeling quite perplexed as to whether or not she could morally accept it. She goes to the Franciscan monk to ask for advice, assuming that he will say to reject it based on vows of simplicity. But instead, he offers to her a phrase that St. That Francis used, recalling Luke 10, our passage from today. He told her, eat such things that are set before you. Or as I like to tell my children, learn to eat what is offered. The monk went on to say to Tish, and by virtue to us, that we need to learn to receive from God and others in an attitude of trust and gratitude. You see, when we pause before we eat to say grace, we are learning to eat what is offered in gratitude for what it really is, nourishment and sustenance, daily bread, a gift, whether it's an extravagant and Instagram-worthy or simply boring leftovers that you had to smell to see whether or not it was still safe to eat it. It's all gift. But there's one more piece that I want to draw out from the passage from Luke 10 that I think is crucial in helping us think about our eating as opportunities to encounter the divine and the divine that resides in others around us. And that piece is the reciprocal nature of food. The 72 followers of Jesus were not simply sent out into the world to be moochers off other people's groceries. Jesus didn't send out the 72 and say, listen, you're going to go for a long walk and you're probably going to get hungry along the way. So stop and see who will give you some food. To the ones that do, well, grant peace on their house. And the ones that are too stingy, grant them a curse. No, this is not at all what happens. This was a reciprocal sending. Not only were the disciples to be cared for and nurtured through the hospitality of the stranger, but the disciples were to care for the well-being of the individuals in whom their lives came into contact with through the offering of healing and wholeness. Unfortunately, our food culture today has become devoid of reciprocity. Instead of food transcending our relationship with God and others, in many ways we have turned food into a product and ourselves into consumers. When this happens, we no longer give thought to the gifting of the food and where it came from. Instead, we become mindless individuals who see food as simply something you pick up off the shelf or grab out of your freezer. Yet the reality is that those delicious spinach quesadillas my wife made were the product of countless hands beyond that of Samantha's. The soil that gave forth harvest, the laborers who picked and sorted the spinach, 
onions, and garlic. The drivers who delivered the grocery to the grocery stores and the essential workers who kept the shelves stocked during a pandemic, risking their lives for the sake of mine so that I might eat and feed my family. To eat is to be mindful of the reciprocal relationship that is involved in receiving our daily bread. Your life and my life are sustained by someone else's life. And we should ask questions like, are they receiving a living wage? Are their working conditions just? Are they able to access the same delicious food that I am receiving? Across the United States, not to mention the global world, food deserts are a real concern. Access to affordable and nutritious meals should be a basic human right. Health is a condition that whether we like it or not, is paid for one way or another, through the food we eat now or the medical bills we pay later. There is a reason why Dollar General has placed at the center of their business model the desire of opening stores in low-income areas. They are filling a void, but they are also filling that void with cheap, unsustainable, and unnutritious foods that are overly processed and lead not to health, but to the degradation of life. Poor communities are constantly forced to determine how to make their dollar count. They have learned the economics of stretching the dollar as far as it can possibly go. But this often comes at the degradation of their long-term well-being especially when it comes to the quality of food they have access to eat. Being poor, as Gustavo Gutierrez writes, often comes with the price of early and unjust deaths. These conditions can and should be changed by recalling the reciprocal nature of food. To love God and to love others is to make decisions that lead to life, and lead to life abundantly. Wendell Berry, a Kentucky author and agrarian, writes, our kitchens and other eating places more and more resemble filling stations and our homes more and more resemble motels. What I think he means by this statement is that instead of being places of peace, nurture and sustenance, our homes are places that we visit during our fast-paced lives. We run into them to eat, check in for sleep for the night, and then run our fast-paced lives of consumerism the next day, neglecting to pay attention to the choices we make and how they might affect others. Friends, eating is an opportunity for us to notice the reciprocal nature of everyone involved in the process of getting the food to our plate. When we eat, we're not called to be consumers, but stewards, a term that we'll talk about next week. Eating isn't essentially about product, it's about relationships. From whom did this food come? Where am I eating it? Who am I eating it with? 
and who lacks access in my neighborhood or community to these same items. Other than eating, the only other place that I have seen consumerism really run rampant within the life of Christians is the church. Pastors and church leaders have run themselves to the ground through what we call burnout for fear of parishioners leaving if the product offered isn't shiny, exuberant, and entertaining. Much like a restaurant, churches have fallen prey to constantly asking if the meal they are serving will draw the crowds or be Instagram worthy. But the truth is, at the heart of worship, we are recipients of two gifts, word and sacrament. These, to be honest, are not very lofty and high-end things either. They are the common stuff of the world. The meals we don't often remember, and yet Jesus said that we should remember him, not in a $75 steak, but in a cheap loaf of bread and a glass of wine that was ultimately shared with the whole group of people. Word and sacrament are not a product to be paid for, but a nourishment of our daily bread, if you will, to be received as grace and to be available equally to all. So when we talk about forming habits by looking small to encounter the God of all creation, one of the first places we can turn is to the food we eat, who we eat it with, and the gift of how it got to us. From the most memorable meals to the quick bite to eat, all of it was a gift that came from somewhere. Our prayers form us in reminding us of our humanity and need to be nurtured. And our prayers, when we offer grace, shape our action in the world and how we advocate for a just food environment and just food economy for all. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, I invite you at this time to join with me as we pray together. Today, in keeping with our theme, I want us to pray for hunger and justice. Particularly this prayer that I came across from Stop Hunger Now. Would you join me today as we pray? Oh God, just as the disciples heard Christ's words of promise and began to eat the bread and drink the wine and the suffering of a long remembrance and in the joy of a hope, grant that we may hear your word spoken in each thing of everyday affairs. Coffee on our table in the morning, the simple gesture of opening a door to go out free, the shouts of children in the parks, a familiar song sung by an unfamiliar voice, a friendly tree that has not yet been cut down. May simple things speak to us of your mercy and tell us that life can indeed be good. And may these sacramental gifts make us remember those 
who do not receive them, who have their lives cut every day, and the bread absent from the table, and the door of the hospital, the prison, the welfare home that does not open, and sad children, feet without shoes, eyes without hope, and war hymns that glorify death, and deserts where once there was life. Christ was also sacrificed. And may we learn that we participate in the saving sacrifice of Christ when we participate in the suffering of his little ones. Hear us now as we, together, pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. One day when I'm tired and weary, bones find their rest. One day when the power of evil's brought to an end, we will see the promised land. We will see the promise.